0: standing, just remain standing for a minute. Don't get too comfortable. How many of you believe that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord one day? <clears throat> I don't know about you begin singing that all the earth will shout your praise. that you know it reminds me of things that are defiant against him right now, cancer sickness poverty war greed it's it'll all bow to Jesus one day. That's an amazing truth. Hey, I want to welcome you. I want to welcome everybody who's actually watching right now at the Valley Campus. Surprise, I'm not here, but I'm here. I'm on video. Uh, I'm actually, it's a great joy today that I actually get to be in at East St. John. It's Pastor John Robertson's first day on the job, and so we're there uh, just installing him is what the term is, and so that's an exciting thing uh, there. But uh, I do get to just speak to you at the Valley Campus via video, Saturday night service. And then, of course, uh, our e-service on there live. If you have a Bible, everyone... Uh, we're going to be hanging out in Acts chapter 19, but before we go there, I want to read a verse aloud together uh, in John chapter 16. So if you're really quick, turn to John 16. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some folks in the aisles. Uh, just raise your hand and they'll hand you one. Uh, you can follow along as we journey through the book of Acts together. I'll give you a second to go ahead and turn to John chapter 16. Uh, again, Valley Campus, thanks for just paying attention to the video. And here's what I know to be true the more that you uh, engage, the the more you'll get out of it. Uh, one time in the Bible, God spoke through the, a, a donkey. I think he could speak through me. I don't know what that says about me, and that, there's no parallels there, but you know what I'm saying. God's able to speak to you today. He's got a word for you if you'll lean in. Uh, I want to welcome you. I want to also welcome everybody at Halifax who are watching online. Last week, Pastor Seth had their first interests night, and we weren't expecting as many people to show up as they did. They packed the place out. There were 50 people that showed up, uh, so we're so excited for that. Also, as you turn to John 16, we're going to read it in just a second. I want to say a big happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We honor you. and We celebrate you. Uh, if, you're, if you are a son or a daughter, you need to honor your parent, your father today. Tell them you love them. Tell them you appreciate them. Uh, show them some honor. If you're a wife and your uh, baby daddy is in the house, you know what to do. I, I just said, just be good to them. That's all I'm saying. Just just show them some Father's Day love. That's all I'm saying. So you can, you can read into that whatever you want. In my house, we know what that means. Anyway. Hey, you guys, are, you guys are filling in the blanks there, not me. I'm just saying, love on some dads, wives, that's all. All right. Before we get in the woods too far. John chapter 16, I want everybody to read this aloud. It should be on the screen below me. Uh, I want to read this out loud together in one voice because I want to declare it uh, as a promise and and an encouragement to us. So let's let's bring it up on the screen. John chapter 16, verse 33, do you see it there? Do you have it? Yes, all right. Read it out loud together. I'm going to let you take it. So say it out loud, Valley Campus, at the top of your voice. I have told you... In this world, you will have trouble. Take I have overcome the world. Alright, let's try that again, like we're one church. Let's get locked in together. Everybody it's all together. Let's declare this in one voice. I have told you these things. Amen. Uh, the title of my message today, I want to pray once more, but the title of my message today is this, Up Against the World. I want to talk about being up against the world. Father, we thank you today that your word is true. We thank you that it's your word that brings power. It's your word that brings life. It's not in the hands of a preacher. It's not in the hands of a church. It's not in any form, as though as though this God was made by human hands. Lord, you are spirit and you're here, and so we ask God, would you speak to us today? Lord, I pray for every person who feels like they're up against it right now, I pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would come in and it would encourage them that they would have the heart of David, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. So, Lord, would you encourage us by your truth, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated today in the presence of the Lord. Grab a seat. Hey, can we thank our band? Do you want to give them some honor? We appreciate you guys. Today we're going to just continue on in our Acts series. If you have a Bible, I'm going to get you to turn it to Acts chapter 19. And uh, if you're just joining us or you've been in and er, in and out over the last couple years, we have been for almost a year and a half now journeying through the book of Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament, and it's the sequel to a book written by a guy named Luke. And Luke's first book, he titled it Luke, and it was all about how Jesus became king over everything. That what the cross is and what the Easter, what the resurrection is, is the ultimate statement that Jesus has authority over everything and his kingdom will reign without end is what that statement is making. And so the book of Luke is all about how Jesus established his kingdom through dying and rising again and then establishing his church in the book of Acts that we've been studying together, which I hope you're enjoying this as much as I have. I'm just geeking out on the Bible lately. I love diving into this deep. But what this whole story is about, just to catch you up, is that the people of God are taking the rule and reign, the reality of King Jesus, all over the earth. And so we've been following along the whole way, and now we've been journeying with a man named Paul as he's been establishing pockets of Christians all over the known world, and it's been quite exciting. There's been a lot of kind of big hits that we've seen. I mean, Paul's just seen incredible victory after incredible victory. I mean, we saw him, just incredible healing. We saw him reaching thousands of people, teaching with power, absolutely changing everywhere he went. I mean, the guy had an incredible resume amassing, but today we arrive in Acts chapter 19, and something a little different happens. Although Paul has had some struggles up till this point he's never encountered anything quite as volatile as what he's about to encounter he's never seen such a flare-up and such opposition as of yet in his ministry as we find here in Acts 19 in Ephesus it's as though the Christians were going along minding their own business and then all of a sudden it's as though the world itself turned against them You ever have a day like that or a week like that where you feel like, honestly, who flipped the switch and made everything against me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And maybe it's not a major thing even. Maybe it's like the week I had that just felt like death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, like just stupid stuff. Distractions here, disappointments there, frustrations here. You know, like I remember I had car troubles this week, plumbing issues. I was barfed on this week. Like if that gives you any kind of indication... You know, nothing major, everything's in check, but those weeks you can have where it's just like, you know, two step forward and ten step back, one step forward and two step back, it's like one of those weeks where it seems like the world just kind of turned against you. Anybody know what I'm talking about or it's just me having a pity party right now? Yeah, you've had those weeks or seasons, and maybe some of you have been through serious seasons where it's not just like the world and it's little things and paper cuts, it's deep cuts, deep wounds, big things that you're up against. You ever felt like you were just surrounded everywhere you turn? It's funny how that all happens at once. There's an old adage, when it rains, it pours. It's funny because we all know the feeling, don't we? It's not that it just sprinkles here and there. It's as though all of a sudden things flare up. And something we're going to find out today is this, that for the believer, this is something that actually does happen and as though things have this tendency of kind of flaring up and creating this large kind of opposition all at once. Life can often feel like that, can't it? just as like the world is set against you. Like there are things that just all of a sudden come at you from every direction. I think that's why a lot of us, I do don't—I can't speak for everyone, but for myself and a lot of us, I think we love a great story or a great movie about like uh, an, an imposing force coming down upon an unlikely hero. Am I right? And that's why we like the stories where, you know, the Patriot, how Mel Gibson and his small band of brothers fight back against the evil empire or Star Wars. I watched Star Wars this weekend with my son, train up a Train up your child in the way he should go, the Bible says. So I watched it with my boy this weekend. And it's again, I love it because it's this small band of people who are like under the thumb of the whole galactic empire and it's just this small group fighting. I I think that's why I love alien movies. Well, one is because I'm a huge nerd. That's that's given. But the other reason is I like that whole idea of like this inquisiting, this kind of imposing force coming down to kind of have its way on humanity and humanity has to fight back like in Independence Day or in Signs or probably my favorite alien invasion movie is War of the Worlds. Anybody, the H.G. Wells, old novel that was adapted, Tom Cruise did a movie maybe five or six years ago, it was probably ten years ago, anytime you say it's five or six years ago, it's probably a decade ago, but the War of the Worlds where like these aliens come and they start to try to take over the earth and humanity fights back, but the interesting thing is when we get into the book of Acts, as Christians, we're actually more like the aliens in these stories than we are like the world fighting back. The Bible actually talks about, Peter talks about how we're aliens and foreigners in this world, and as aliens and foreigners in this world, we are going to come up against forces that push back against us. And we find in Acts chapter 19, this is happening. This war of the worlds flares up, and it's as though this world that Paul had been ministering to all of a sudden fights back with incredible force, and you're going to see Christians, the Christians in Ephesus, finding themselves in some new surroundings, some inhospitable, incompatible surroundings where they are literally surrounded by opposition. And I want to look at it and I want to ask this question. What do you do when it seems like the world's turned against you? Maybe some of you are in that season right now where you're feeling as though everything is just coming at me at once. I think you're going to find a lot of encouragement in here. So let's read the Bible. Acts chapter 19. Let's get into the heart of the story. It says this. That about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. That was what they were referring to, Christianity, was the way. Uh, It began with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek god Artemis. He kept the craftsmen busy, and he called them together, along with the others employed in similar trades, and addressed them as follows. Demetrius said, "'Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business.'" But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. Maybe you recall when Paul addressed the crowd at Mars Hill and talked about how gods are not made by human hands. And Demetrius says he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province of Asia. Of course... I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm not just talking about the loss of money. I'm also concerned, Demetrius says, that the temple of the great god Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worshiped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world will be robbed of her great prestige. Now watch this. In a moment, it all flares up. Verse 28. At this, their anger boiled. And they began shouting, "Great is the god of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis, the god of the Ephesians!" Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. It was pandemonium, and everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Let's just pa- Macedonia. Let's pause there for a second. Now it's important when you read the Bible and you read a story like this, and even a historical account that you don't just skim over it, but you actually let your mind go there and, and just picture what has just happened. An influential business leader, let's just picture in our day that one of the Irvings got up and made this speech to the powers that be in that city that, hey, this group, the way, this guy, Paul, everything they are doing is coming against everything we have set to believe and everything that we have set up in our lives. Let's go get him. And all of a sudden, all of them, it says their anger started to boil, and they erupted in rage and grabbed the nearest Christians and drugged them in a, in a rioting mob to the amphitheater where they were about to have it out. Now, that's crazy. Has anybody ever, have you, maybe you've been in a, in a crowd that was frantic or panicking? Have you ever been in a crowd that was frantic or panicking? It's terrifying. Have you ever been in a riot? I have not been in the riot, but have you seen them on TV even? What humans are capable of when anger and rage and confusion and fear come front and center and, and take everybody up with them, it is a terrifying terrifying reality i mean you think about uh the baltimore riots a couple of years ago like people just throwing rocks and breaking things and vandalizing and knocking things over you think of the riot in vancouver after the canucks lost the which is the dumbest thing to say ever after a, a team lost the hockey game they went nuts it's wild when you just picture this in your mind this city is enraged and inflamed it's just risen up in a moment So here's the question I want to ask when I look at this. Maybe you've not been at the front and center of an angry mob, but maybe a season or a day or a circumstance flared up in a moment, and all of a sudden, it just towers over you like those poor Christians at the bottom of the amphitheater staring up at an angry crowd. Cancer is now towering over you. Marital troubles are now towering over you. All kinds of things outside of your control are now towering over you. And so, the question I want to ask, and I think the text asks us, is what do you do when it seems as the world has turned against you? What do you do? You ever feel like that? You ever been in that situation? If you haven't, you haven't lived long enough. And I'll say that as a 34 year old if you're under 34, it's coming. And if you follow Jesus, it's coming. What do you do when the world flares up against you in a season? There, I have five points, and I want you to write them down. Take notes and write these down because you're going to need these at some point in your life. And this is what we're just going to go with what the Bible says. But the first thing I would say before we dive any further into Acts is this the first thing you need to know when it seems as though the world is turned against you is that you need to expect it. You need to expect it. Don't be surprised when you find yourself surrounded by opposition in this life. Don't be surprised when you find yourself facing difficulty and trials of many kind. I think a lot of the time, if you're like me and you have a week, uh, a tough week, or maybe you're in a real difficult season, usually our, our reaction, even for the greatest pessimists, Out there, even for Chicken Little, who walks around saying, The sky is falling, the sky is falling. When the sky does fall, Chicken Little always says, What? What's going on? Right? Isn't that a reaction? A reaction when when opposition flares up, when difficulty flares up, when we come into a season is not, Well, I expected that. It's, What's going on? What is wrong? Why is this happening to me? Correct? that's the reaction. It's always out of surprise a reaction that we have. It's often we just are confused and trying to wrap our heads around, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? Why is this particular thing happening the way it's happening? We're always surprised when things like that happen to us, aren't we? And it's not that the Bible would tell us to go around living life as though Chicken Little were waiting for the other shoe to fall. The Bible actually commands us to expect blessing, and we'll talk about that later. But I do need to say this, that As believers, we should not be surprised when we come into situations where we feel surrounded, where we feel like we're up against it, when we feel like we are being overwhelmed and outnumbered and outmatched and overcome. This is something the Bible tells us to expect. 1 Peter 4.12, Peter says this. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you were going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised when that happens. Any, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, like, every time something happens, my reaction is, why is this happening? Something unusual is happening. And, and Peter just nails it perfectly. He says, don't be surprised as though something unusual were happening. It's not unusual. Expect it, he says. John 15:18. Jesus said this, Right before he said what we read at the start of the message, he said, if the world hates you, if it rejects you, if it seems inhospitable, and if if it seems incompatible, remember, it hated me first. If you were of the world, it would love you and accept you as your own, but instead, the world hates you because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. The Bible effectively tells us, as believers... Do not be surprised when trials and storms come. Jesus did not come to exempt you from hardships in this life. And some of you are fed that bill when you come into church. Or some of you, maybe you aren't fed that, and the preacher never said that, but that's what you wanted to hear. Believe in Jesus, and then it's sunshine, lollipops, it's just going to be perfect. And that's, isn't that like what happens so often? I've seen... And, and, I could tell you dozens of names of people who came to church, they accepted the grace of Jesus, it truly resonated in them. I've prayed with these people, I've walked and done life with these people, and I've seen them gladly accept the truth, and then somewhere along the way, oftentimes it's early, they'll face something and they'll think, Oh, whoa, I'm, not so, I'm a Christian now. I'm not supposed to face hardship. I'm not supposed to face struggle. What's going on? And they'll wrestle with it, and then they'll realize, okay, this isn't what I signed up for. Jesus, if you can't make everything easier, I don't want anything. I'm going to go try the next self-help book. And So many people leave the faith because they believe upon Jesus to make things easy. When Jesus never said he would make things easy, he said his yoke is easy, his burden is light. But following him is not that simple. And a lot of people fall away from the faith because they thought, things are going to get so much easier for me. Maybe when Jesus saved you, maybe when you came to church and he says, I've come that you would have life and I want to save you. Maybe what he defines as saving, maybe what he defines as life are two different things than what you define life and saving as. And sometimes I think we're often confronted with that reality that Jesus might be leading us in a way that I never thought he was going to lead me. Why am I facing these things? We should expect trials. Expect storms. In the words of YouTube sensation, sensation weatherman Frankie McDonald, be prepared. <laughs> Does anybody know Frankie? Yeah. 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 We should. Like, Listen. We, we do not get to walk in a bubble that says, you know what, it's raining on everybody else, but not me. Yeah, right. Jesus did not exempt us from the troubles of this world. We'll get to what he did do in a minute, but you have to understand something that Jesus promised we would have troubles. In fact, one time he was teaching about this. He, talk, he taught about how different people received the kingdom of God, and he, and he used this parable called the parable of the sower. And he said there was one category of person who, although they received it with gladness, it says they received my word with gladness, and it was true. And the, the, the plant sprouted up. The seed took root, and it sprouted up. It said it didn't get deep roots. It didn't get the real truth in the rock and the bedrock, but it actually just sprung up, and that the thorns and troubles of life came and choked out It's life. See, Jesus actually wants us to root down deeper that says, you know what? I'm in this through thick and thin, through the valley, through the shadow, on the mountain. I'm going, I'm following Jesus to the end, no matter where this goes. See, the believer's mentality is never pessimistic. Do not mistake what I'm saying. You do not assume the worst. You do not assume difficulty. It's never pessimistic. We have the attitude like David that says, you know what? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We expect blessing. I will experience goodness in the land of the living. That's the mentality we have. But we're never surprised when trials come. It's part of it. In fact, sometimes God chooses to bless you right in the trial when it seems like the world has turned against you. First thing, I need to just tell someone. Maybe you're new, you're new to Christianity. I always, I always pray for people who are brand new to their faith when they receive Christ, because I know it's coming. Your first test is coming, that you're gonna have to root yourself and, and the wind's gonna pick up and God's gonna try to make you stand on your own. And I always am praying for people who are just brand new to their faith and they think this is just gonna be easy for the rest of the way when God just lets a little bit of the weight step upon you. Expect it. Number two is this. When it seems like the world is turned against you, face it. Face it. Don't be afraid. We should never fear any circumstances as believers. That's easier said than done, but that's the call of the Bible, isn't it? In fact, Jesus says be anxious about nothing. About nothing. So what are you anxious about right now? Stop sinning. That's essentially what it is. Be anxious about nothing. Look what happens next. I love this. Paul is the man. Look at this. Acts 19, verse 30 says, Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, and they're dragging along Gaius and, and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So picture the most insane, raging crowd. They want blood. And verse 30 says, And Paul wanted to go in too. <laughs> that guy is nuts, isn't he? Like, who, who wants to go in there? Like, the guy is just, he, he's absolutely, positively fearless. There's a crowd of 20,000, there's an angry mob, 20,000 deep, and Paul says, let me at them, right? Like, not even worried about it. I am completely fearless. Paul had complete, just earth-shattering faith that gave him peace in everything. He had this mentality, if you read some of his other works, like, as though he were completely untouchable. Like there's nothing that you could do to him, there's nothing you could throw at him that would actually make him lose. He said in Romans chapter 8, and I, I'm positive as you look at his life and you read his, read, you read his writings, he lived by this. He said in Romans 8, if God is for me, who can be against me? It's not that those against me are that, aren't bad, it's just that God is great. It's not that the giants that surround me aren't big, it's just that God is so much bigger, and so no matter what comes against me, I'm going to win because God is on my side. That's the mentality Paul had. Truly, when you read his writings, it's, it's almost funny. Like, he had some God-fident swagger that just gave him the answers to everything. Like, like when he was thrown in prison, he was saying, you can't, you can't imprison me. I'm already a prisoner for Christ. Right? Like... He said you can shipwreck me, you can whip me one time. They said, "We're going to kill you." And he says, "Well, to die is gain. Kill me and I get to be with Jesus, which is what I want to be anywhere I want to be anyway." And they said, "Well, we'll let you live." And he goes, "Well, to live is Christ." Like he walked around like Tony Soprano. Like I'm a made man. No one can I'm untouchable. Because he knew God's on my side. It didn't mean that bad things weren't happening to him. It just, he, just, he just understood that no matter what was happening to me, my God is greater and exceedingly abundantly able to take it all and conform it and work it out for my good. Gave, that's why he was just completely fearless. Like completely fearless. He had no fear in him. He had kind of that same mentality you see in King David. David was the same. David, if you read any of his story, and First and, and 2 Samuel, and then you read some of his psalms, he, I mean, if you hung out with David, you'd probably think the guy's a lunatic. Like, what teenager goes up against a war champion that's nine and a half feet tall? Goliath. Well, a teenager who's not delusional, he saw how tall Goliath was, he just knew God was taller. And so he had this mentality that no matter what happens to me, if God is with me, I'm not afraid. That's why I said in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. True story for those of you who are my age, I cannot say that line without hearing Coolio in my head. Yeah? Sorry. When I walk through the... Anyway. I said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because he's with me. I'm not afraid. He's not afraid. What are you afraid of today? Do you know that God is bigger than it? You know God's bigger than an angry mob in an amphitheater crying for blood you know that God's bigger than cancer God's bigger than your financial woes God's bigger than your joblessness God's bigger than your marital struggles God is bigger than every giant that's towering over you right now God towers over it so that gave Paul amazing peace it gave David amazing peace like in Psalm 91 where David just is writing his confidence Psalm 91 has been a Particularly close theme for me, and specifically for pa- Pastor Seth in Halifax for the last year, I preached on part of Psalm 91 when God told him, "I want you to go and jump into King's Church, and I want you to lead this thing in Halifax." It was confirmation to him because when Seth was uh, just a boy, he lost his mother to cancer, and his mother gave him the verse Psalm 91 as a life verse, as a life, as a life psalm. And so he's hung on to that, and throughout his time with us, he's already had some opposition. You don't know this, but he, he dealt with some uh, just kind of clinical depression, like he went through it last fall, and God, by his grace, brought him through that. And he's had some hits, and yet through it all, he has just walked and stayed faithful, believing that God is fighting for me, and that if God is for me, who or what can be against me? And it's led him all the way to Halifax. Even just a few weeks ago, Uh, Some of us and some of our elders from the church, we gathered around him and prayed for them as they moved out and literally moved in the moving truck. And uh, one person just felt God, again, put Psalm 91 on their heart and no one, he, he didn't know that that was Seth's psalm. And I just said, I feel that God wants you to hear this today. And he stood over him and read him this. He said, Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not overcome you. See, that's the mentality that understands if God is for me, then who can be against me? Somebody needs to be reminded of that today. You're feeling anxious and untethered. You're feeling like something's just staring you down and saying, bow down. Do you know that everything will come? Everything will bow at the name of Jesus. Expect it, face it. Number three is this. Number three, when it feels like the world has turned against you, and you find yourself up against it. Third observation from the text is this, this point. you will write it down. Group up. Group up. Don't go it alone. Do not do this alone. Look at what happens next. So verse 30, let's jump back in. Paul wanted to go in too, so he wants to run in, but it says this, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, insiders saying, do not go in there. They begged of him. They begged him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Now, let's just pause there. Now, some of you might think I'm reading too far into this, but you think about this. You think about who Paul is. Like, Paul, y'all, like the guy who met Jesus face-to-face, The guy who was the apostle that God was absolutely transforming everything with. The guy whose handkerchief was was healing people. The guy who was in jail and he started singing, Oh, How I Love Jesus. I don't know if it was that song, but he started singing a hymn and chains just fell off and the door flew open. Like this guy, he would have reason to be a little confident. And he would have reason to even just think, well, who are you to tell me that I can't go in there? I'm Paul. And yet Paul had submitted himself to the opinion of other believers. That's that's a major picture in there that really hit me and challenged me and asked me the question, "Who, who, who in your life can say no to you? Who in your life can speak the truth in love? See, Paul had submitted himself to others, and he understood this, that I cannot be victorious and I cannot face what's in front of me by myself. He submitted himself. Here is a truth, and if you're writing notes down, write this down. God will give you grace for every trial. He will give you grace for absolutely every trial you face, and most often his grace is delivered through the strength of other people. You know what, sometimes God does amazing things where he'll send money at just the right time out of nowhere when you needed money or healing comes out of nowhere because you prayed or ravens came and brought you bread. Like I don't know what miracle God did but most of the miracles that have been in my life and they were miracles were miracles of God sending people into my life to give me strength in areas where I'm weak and to give me truth where I am mixed up and to give me direction where I don't know where to go. You see, you cannot live this life. You cannot live the Christian life alone. You have to do it as a collective. That God, just think about the people that are sitting around you right now. Just around you right now, God has them around you to be strong in areas that you're weak. That you are actually sitting around the grace of God in your life. And if you've not been in church long enough to know that to be true, just wait. Wait. If you've not gotten close enough to people to know that's, that's true, you need to. Let me ask you this question. Who is your church? Not, not where do you go to church. Yeah, some of you come to the Valley Campus, some of you go to East Campus, some of you watch online. I'm saying, who are your church? When you're surrounded, who are you leaning on? When you're overcome, who's picking you up? When you are lost, who's helping you find traction and guidance? See, Paul would later talk about how the church is a body. And you know what? If you're, if you're the hand, if you're that member of the body, you're useless on your own. You've got to be connected to an arm that's connected to an elbow, that's connected to a shoulder, that's connected to a torso. And the whole thing together works to provide strength. That's why one of our values here at the church is built together. One of our code, that we realize that we are only as strong as we are together. together. Built together. Paul, I love this, and I mean, it just kind of floored me that a man that into, like, if you ever read, like, I'm telling you, if you ever read, like, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, or 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, where Paul, he starts saying, listen, if anyone should boast, like, dude's been to heaven he had a vision where he was taken up to heaven. Like the guy, the resume on this guy—if there was ever anybody in the church to not submit himself to what other people have to say and other people's input in his life, it would be Paul. And yet, Paul had the wisdom to know that God may be providing me wisdom through other people. Solomon knew this. In the Old Testament, it says in Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but an abundance of counselors. There, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Who can speak into your life? Proverbs 11:55. plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Do you know that God has given you grace in people around you called the church? I, I, I'm the product of God's grace in so many ways, but I'll tell you something. I did not get here by myself. Me and a whole army of God's people have gotten me to this place in my life. People have picked me up and carried me and drugged me, kicking and screaming, and spanked me and kicked me and told me what's up and encouraged me and spoken into me. I have been built up by a people. That's God's heart for you. And some of you are fighting against, you are totally outnumbered. You and what army are facing that? There is an army called the church. Do you know it? Do they know you? Group up. Who can speak truth to you? Who can you be totally honest with? Just this past week, I just had such a beautiful time on Thursday with a couple guys that every week we meet together and we're honest and vulnerable and we can tell the truth to each other and we hold each other up and say, hey, you're weak in that area. Let me pray for you. I'm here for you. I'm going to walk it out with you. You know, God gives you grace for every trial and a lot of the time it's in another person group up. Number four is this. I'm almost done. Are you with me? Are you awake? Valley campus, you feeling good? Number four is this. If you're taking notes, take aim. Take aim. When it feels like the world has flared up and all of a sudden there's just big flare up, you need to know your enemy. You need to put on spiritual glasses. You need to have spiritual eyes to see what's coming at you because I'll tell you something, there's more going on than just the physicality of it all. There's almost always, when it comes to being a believer, when it seems like things just flare up out of nowhere, there's almost always a spiritual cause and a spiritual root. Look what happens next. I just want you to get a picture and I want you to look deeper And I want you to see the irrationality that's kind of just taking people over. Verse 32, it says, inside, inside the amphitheater, the people were all shouting. Angry, anger boiling over. Some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. They're just caught up in it all. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told told him to explain the situation. And he motioned for silence and tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, that's racist. Legitimately watch this. When they realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Let's just pause there. Do you see how unhinged and irrational and just insane this all is? It's because there's a spiritual source and you're seeing the manifestation of a spiritual reality. In fact, you see it all the time in our day and age. You see manifestations of powers and principalities. That's what riots are. That's what big racial, that's what racial tensions are. That's what, the, the political f- infighting, it's from a political spirit. Did you know that the Bible actually tells us that there are spiritual sources that are creating these manifestations in your life a lot of the time? And the Bible wants you to know there's more going on in every situation. Your marriage, your wife is not your enemy, there's likely a spiritual root. Well, yeah, she cheated on me, but there's a spiritual root that caused that. And the Bible would say, you need to look beyond the superficial and the temporal and you need to see in the spirit and understand something that there is an enemy and it does not have flesh and blood. It does not have lungs. It doesn't have a heart. It's a spiritual enemy. Think about what's, what's represented in this one hostile crowd. There's religiosity, a religious spirit you see, you see a political spirit you see a race you see racial tensions happening you see the mob mentality you see confusion those are all telltale signs of demonic powers and we as the church especially the church in the west is so blind to all these things of the spirit we've got to come awake to the fact that there are spiritual sources creating the environment that we're often encountering greed is happening You have to realize it. Later on, Paul would write to the Ephesians, and he said this in Ephesians 6. This very group of people, he wrote this. Be strong in the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not your enemy. Kim Jong-un isn't your enemy Donald Trump is not your enemy. America, Canada, you know, the racist person, the greedy person, those aren't the enemy. Racism's the enemy. Greed is the enemy. The enemy's causing these things. The Christian has got to see beyond the temporal and the superficial and see the supernatural that's causing things to be the way they are. He says, we war not, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the, of evil in the heavenly places. You have to realize, there have been many times in my life, there's been times with my wife and I, where we just knew, okay, we're under attack. Like, this is more than just happenstance. Like, things are flaring up against us. There have been times where I've been in my office. There was one time I was in my office speaking to someone, and I knew within a few minutes that there was another voice speaking through them, and their eyes were glazed over. They weren't even. It wasn't even them. I'm not even sure they remember the conversation. You want to understand something, that when it comes to your opposition, you do have an enemy And he hates you, and he's trying to destroy you. And the Bible, and Paul would try to tell you this. You need to see beyond your circumstances. You need to war differently. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, the weapons of our warfare, we don't fight the same way the world does. The weapons of our warfare are mighty to tear down strongholds, to actually, you know that you can fight in the spirit? Do you know that prayer, do you know that praise, do you know that worship, when you start doing those things, it absolutely starts dismantling things in the spirit? We have got to be the first people that do not get consumed. I love how the Christians at no point got consumed in trying to get a bigger, angrier mob and fight back. They didn't, did they? They, they fight differently. Because they understand this is a spiritual problem. This is a spiritual battle. And we're fighting, we're fighting with spiritual, we're fighting spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's deeper than just what you think it is. Final observation is this. So when it seems as though the world has just turned against you and flared up, man, I remember one time, I, I know this is an aside, I remember one time my brother-in-law in Fredericton, he, he ended up asking someone to step down. He's a pastor up there, asked him to step down out of leadership, and did the, the city not flare up against him? Front page of the paper, people blogging nasty things about him. He, and I told him, I remember at the time, you hit a principality. It's real. Number five is this, when it comes, when it feels as though the world has turned against you, expect it, face it, group up, know your enemy. Number five is this, be still and let God fight for you. Watch what happens next. It's kind of, you can just read over it and it seems like no big deal until you go back and actually think of what really happened. Verse 35, it says, so they're all freaking out and at last the mayor was able to quiet them down again enough to speak Now the mayor's speaking. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of great Artemis whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, we can see what side he's on, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. Wait a minute. He's speaking rationale to them, although he's fully in support of what they're saying. Verse 37, you have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple. They've not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session, and and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in the legal assembly. I'm afraid that we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. And then he dismissed them, and they dispersed. Verse 1 in the next chapter says, When the uproar was over, Paul sent the believers and encouraged them, and then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. Now, you might be wondering, what just happened there? Why is that significant? Think about this. Everything is risen, and it's just flared up against the Christians. And here's the question I'd ask to you. What did Paul and the Christians end up doing to fight back? What did they do? Nothing. nothing. They did nothing. What happened? God mobilized and moved a pagan man who was looking out for his own skin who was trying to protect his own hide and protect his own city, didn't care anything about the Christians, but God mobilized this man to speak up in such a way that it actually gets the Christians off into freedom. And this is just a picture of how in the moment it can seem as though you are sunk and you are done, but God is able to move absolutely anything, everything, and anyone... Any circumstance, any situation, any person, he can move absolutely anything and to call it to come into order for your good. You see it all through the Bible. You see it in the book of Exodus, Exodus uh, chapter 14, when God is speaking to Moses. He says, listen, you, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. What's he mean by be still? Does he mean like sit and hum? No, he means trust me walk out your trust, walk out your faith, and watch me move mountains for you. Did you know that God does that? And didn't, he, didn't Moses see that? I mean, God saw, Moses saw God do natural miracles, but probably even crazier than that. If you read the book of Exodus, like he convinced Pharaoh to let, his slave labor go. It says in one part, I think it's Exodus chapter 12, it says that, or 17, it says that God actually caused the Egyptians to look upon the Christians with so much favor that not only did they let them go, but they blessed them out the country and they gave them their riches. It's in the Bible. God actually can command anything to come into your good. Now, I'm not saying this to say that you're just gonna get off the hook with everything. You're gonna go through things. The, the, the good news is this that God can take everything you go through in your life and He can use it like a pawn on a chessboard to come out to be a win for Him and for you. That's how God has power to move absolutely anything in your life. That's what, that's what Paul meant in Romans 8, 28. For we know that God causes all things to come together, to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It's not that you won't go through hard times. It's just that our God is greater than the hard times. He's going to take it and he's going to turn it into his glory and my joy. That's what God does. That might even include your death. That's why Paul was so confident. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Even if I die, God controls death. What's the worst that can happen to me? I die, and then through the power of God, he raises me up to eternal life and joy forevermore at his right hand. Paul had this expectation that said this, God is fighting for me. He's going before me. He's working under the scenes. I just might not be able to see it right now. And I felt that was important for someone to hear that you feel like you're, you're surrounded and you're wondering where God is. And I'll tell you something, if you just wait upon him, the Bible says strength will rise and he'll raise you up like, eagle, like on eagle's wings, that God will actually fight on your behalf. He moves oceans and mountains. God is a miracle-working God who actually fights on your behalf. It might look different. It might be not what you expected, but I'll tell you something. There will will be no believer who stands before God in eternity that says, God, I don't like how you did that. You will say, wow. Wow. When I thought that all was lost, God, you were mobilizing a mayor in this town to work and speak on my behalf. When I thought that everything was lost and it was a hopeless situation, you were working on this behind the scenes the whole time and I didn't even know it. We got a little picture of this a couple years ago. My father was diagnosed with kidney cancer. And uh, he went in to have surgery, and the amazing thing about kidneys are that you could take part of a kidney and it'll start to work. And so that was the hope. They were going to take the half of the kidney that had a tumor in it and leave the other half in hopes that it would just start to function. He'd have one and a half kidneys because one and a half is better than one. And anyway... He went in for the surgery. I remember the day. I remember praying with my dad and just praying, like, just, hey, God, uh, we trust you, and we just know that you are causing all things to come together. We we spoke healing and life over him, and we just asked that God would cover him. And I remember when they wheeled him in. I remember sitting out there with my mom for a few hours and, and more hours than they said it would take. And I'll never forget when the doctor came through the doors, and he looked flustered. He didn't look defeated. I could tell that. I know that look, too. But he looked flustered and frustrated, and he said, listen, I tried and I tried to save half of his kidney, and this has never happened like this before. I just could not get the bleeding to stop. It's fairly routine, uh, but I wasn't able to get the bleeding to stop because it just wasn't happening, so I had to take the whole thing, or he was going to hemorrhage. And so we were, although thankful that he was recovering and he still had one functioning kidney, we were a little disappointed that we didn't get what we wanted, Uh, and so that happened, and probably Three months later, my father went back in uh, just for the post-surgery, and they did the biopsy on the kidney, and the doctor came and says, good news, you had a second tumor. My dad says, why is that good news? Because he said, well, it was in the half that we were going to leave. We didn't know it was there. And so when we thought that, God, what are you doing? Why are you taking a kidney out? We prayed for this. Why isn't this happening this way? A God the whole time working behind the scenes. Taking the cancer out of my dad's body. You know, and it doesn't mean that your story, maybe your story didn't end as happy with cancer. Here's what you need to know. God is working behind the scenes, even behind the scenes of the grave, and he's causing all things To come together for your good. If you'll just trust him and wait upon him, he will fight for you. God is fighting for you, he holds the victory. Everything, everything that is overcoming you, he will and is overcoming. Every enemy is defeated already by the blood of Jesus. That's what we see on the cross. Colossians says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them on the cross. He says, Give me your worst. Take your best shot. That's what the cross is. Okay, sin. Okay, de- okay, cancer. Okay, death. Okay, depression. Okay, fear. Okay, anxiety. Let me have it. And, and the, the powers let Jesus have it unto death. And then the Bible says Jesus rose in victory, putting all of it under his feet, that he has authority over all of it. So that you understand this. Our God has power over everything that has power over you. And he is for you, not against you. Every stronghold will be broken. Every chain will be broken. Every giant will come down. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. Lord, we thank you today. In every circumstance, Paul, Paul said this. He said, thank God In all things, thank God for all things. And so God, we thank you today that in everything, with everything that surrounds us, with everything that overcomes us, God, we thank you that you are exceedingly abundantly able to not only take and form all things and cause all things to come together for our good, but you're working it out in a way that is far beyond anything we could ask or even imagine. And so, God, we just confess our faith in you today. We lift our heads to you, and we just say that you are higher, you are stronger, you are greater, you're more powerful, you're the champion, you're the victory, and we lift our eyes to you today, and we see that you are high above everything that's high above us. And so, God, we just take great courage in that today. I pray, Lord, for the one who just feels overcome, Lord. I pray that they would be able to look out over the head of their giant, over the head of their adversary, over the head of their trials and circumstances, and they'd see a risen Savior who holds all authority in heaven and on earth and that he's for us, not against us. God, I pray today for every heart that it would be encouraged. Lord, I pray that we'd have that fearlessness like Paul, like David, that says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow. That I'll fear no evil because he is with me. I'm not afraid. Lord, I pray for that, that, that truth, Lord, that you spoke. Jesus, you said in John 16, I tell you these things, that you will have peace. Lord, I ask for your peace to rest upon us today. In Jesus' name, Lord, we we aren't surprised when troubles happen, but we aren't overcome by them because, Lord, you have overcome them. And so, Father, we just fix our eyes on you. We receive receive your truth today, Lord, and I pray that in every heart, we leave this place encouraged, knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody, all the overcomers said, Amen. Amen, amen, amen.